Black women are almost twice as likely to experience infertility than white women, but they seek medical help for it half as much. About 15% of white women between the ages of 25 and 44 seek infertility treatment. This is compared with 8% of black women. Infertility among African-Americans is often a taboo issue associated with stigma and silence. In fact, there is a deep-rooted belief that black women do not face similar infertility issues as compared to other ethnic groups. However, the fact is, non-Hispanic black women are nearly two times more likely to have infertility issues. I'm Dr. Karino Steny. And I'm Dr. Pindele Erika Choa. And this is Hey Doc, Let's Chat. Let's get into it. So today's show, we really just wanted to switch things up a little bit. Isn't that right, Karen? Yeah. And uh, although you were teasing me earlier about the timing of having a baby, the topic of the day is infertility. And we just wanted to pick up where we left off a few months ago. Uh, We had a lot of feedback regarding the topic of um, infertility. And a lot of you guys enjoy the exchange, the conversations that we had. So we figured we will invite a friend to join us today. I'll let you introduce her. Oh, yeah. So we have my friend Donna. So Donna is a nurse that I used to work with at one of my local hospitals here. She's a fabulous, amazing seasoned nurse. Um, And she just has such an amazing story. She has just her whole life story, honestly, is amazing. But I'll let her introduce herself. But we brought her on the show to come and talk about her experience with IVF. And so Donna, with if you can just go ahead and, and introduce yourself to the audience, we would love that. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Donna. And as um, Dr. Chua said, I am a registered nurse. I've been a registered nurse 18 years. My experience is in emergency medicine and trauma. Um, and that's what I'm currently doing at this time. Also, I do um, case management as well. I am a mom and I did just complete a cycle of vitro fertilization that we're going to talk about today. And I'm excited to be here. Any questions that you all have? I'm an open book. I'm totally transparent. And um, if you would like to follow that journey as well, you can follow my YouTube channel. And that is Transparent Life of Dede. And that's D-E-E-D-E-E. And then you can see that journey as well. So, Donna, if you can just take a minute to share why... Why did you um, go through IVF? Just kind of share that experience with you when you were trying to have a baby and just kind of the thought process. What led you to doing in vitro fertilization? Well, what I will say is that many people do in vitro for different reasons. Fertility strikes all of us. It does not matter your race. It does not matter your culture. It does not matter your creed. It impacts us all. And for me, I was married very young. I got married 19 days after I turned 18. So I already had four older children. After being relieved of that marriage that was not safe or healthy for me or my children, I moved to Atlanta. But what I did was after my last child, I decided to get my tubes tied. And the physician and I still I still remember him now to this day. Um, he was really trying to discourage me from doing that. And I said, nope, I don't care. I'm throwing garbage. <laughs> um, but when I moved to Atlanta, 
life changes. And and one thing I want to definitely tell the listeners is that please don't make a permanent decision based on a temporary situation. That's right. I know that may sound very mm. cliche, mm-hmm. but it is so true because I made a permanent decision based on a temporary situation. I moved to Atlanta. I was able to close on a house with no bumps in a road whatsoever. Um, I met my wonderful husband who is um, the chief IT over at Delta and he had no children. Mm. So when we were dating, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll have you a baby. Yeah, we'll do that. We're at the dating phase. So yeah, of course I'm gonna I'm gonna have you two, three kids. So initially we talked and he wanted four children. And I said, like, okay, yeah, sure, I can give you four. <laughs> not thinking, Donna, you've gotten your tube side. So this is not gonna be as easy as you think. Mm-hmm. My older children are 26, 21, 22 and 14. Oh, wow. Right. And um, after we Hmm. got married and things of that nature, um, the baby conversation came back up. He was like, I really want kids. And uh, we went to a local office here in Atlanta to kind of get the numbers and to see what we needed to do and what would be the best action to take. So initially we decided to untie the tubes. And just untie the tubes and, and let's try this thing naturally. And that's what I did. And two years later, it was not effective because my right tube hmm. continued to be occluded and the left tube was too short to fertilize. So for those who don't know how, how pregnancy work is really very complex, but your tube has to be long enough for the egg to fertilize in the tube. It can't fertilize in the uterus. It has to fertilize in the tube and it typically fertilizes in the ampulla portion of it. So when you do mm-hmm. a ligation, they cut the ampulla portion out and that shortens your tube. So when they do mm-hmm. the anastomosis, that's a tubal reversal, they kind of just take those two parts, make a fresh cut and they stitch them back together and let them heal. So that healing process sometimes can cause, you know, a blockage to still remain, which was what happened on my right side. And then on my left side, it is open with spillage into the uterus. However, uh, the tube is too short for the egg to actually fertilize. So I, I wouldn't be able to get pregnant naturally, per se. So Donna, real quick, I want to stop you there real quick because I want to, we just unloaded a, a lot on our audience. <laughs> yes. About two and I had a few questions. I was like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Take me on that journey. Hold on. <laughs> I'm like, let, let, let's just break that down because that in itself, that's a lot. that was a lot. So Corinne, I'm going to point at you because you do this, you know, on, on a daily basis. So let's just back up a little bit. And I want you to talk about, you know, why uh, Donna was unable to have kids in the first place with a tubal ligation. So why don't you describe what exactly that is and and why that is a, usually an unreversible procedure. So let's start there. Well, she did an excellent job at describing it. What I was more curious to hear is what I'd, how old were you when you started that journey? 38. Okay. Okay. So older than age 35. All right. So the reason why I pointed out is because uh, if you guys remember when we talked about infertility in our prior episode, one thing that we wanted to stress out is that the rate of infertility will increase with age, um, especially after age 35. So when 
a woman chooses to uh, enter that journey where she's trying to conceive, it is very important to consider her age while offering her her options to make sure that she's successful. You have to take into consideration all the factors, including age, that could play a role into this process. In Donna's case, what is pertinent is that she had the medical exposure and background, but like many women, she was unaware that timing, it sounds mm -hmm. like timing, could play a factor into this decision. And so what happens a lot is that I see patients coming to me and they tell me, you know, similar stories and they're now ready to try with their new partner. Right. And the first thing that crosses my mind is, is she able to, based on the age of her ovaries because yeah you need the tubes and all of that but we also know that science has equipped us with the ability to do ivf so my my uh, thoughts are always like is she actually able to before i even put her mm -hmm. through the process of reverse of reversal can is it even worth it so it's interesting to um, hear how your story unfolded and you went through the process and it took you another two years to finally move on to IVF? Well, it did because initially we were going to just do the tubal reversal. And when you do tubal reversal, mm -hmm. they request that you try for 12 months. And if you don't try, if you don't get pregnant within those 12 months, then you come back and then they move forward. So I was 37 when I had my tubal reversal. And then we tried for that that whole year, and then we went back to the local cl clinic here, which we did not end up using them for the IVF, but we went back to the clinic here in Atlanta to get advice on where we move forward from. So one thing that is very pertinent is that tubal reverse reversal has been known to be very, very difficult. So kudos to whomever helped you out with that. It's very difficult. And then the other thing is that the success rate is also very, very low. And in addition to that, the process in itself can increase your risk of having an ectopic pregnancy mm -hmm. when you if you become successful in getting pregnant, the pregnancy can get stuck in the tube. So that's something that I usually tell my patients too, like you have to watch out, you know, because it's not only being successful reverse uh, doing the tubal reversal, but you also have to think about the success rate that is associated with that, which is not um, very good. Right. So, but, well, I'm so ready to hear the next part of your story. Sorry, I just had to uh, to interject there because I was very curious to hear, you know, how the whole the, the story started for mm -hmm. you. you know? um, so we went to we went back to the clinic here in Atlanta and they did all the blood work, all the ultrasounds. They were basically working me up to make sure that at my age, because you're absolutely right. After 35, you are considered advanced maternal age. After the age of 35, your your fertility do it, it begins to descend at that point. So it is very important that your physicians make sure that you are healthy enough to go through a pregnancy and carry a pregnancy, um, and that is not too much stress on your body. And that's what my doctors here were doing. What kind of test did they write down on you when you went in? What were the type of things that they did to to figure that out? Okay, so we went I first initially went through a series of blood tests we did we chose to do genetic testing mm -hmm. did not have to do the genetic testing but i wanted to know if i was a carrier of anything because also 
one thing that we were worrying about was that over the age of 35, your rate or your risk for having a Down syndrome baby increased drastically. So we both did um, genetic testing and they, they took about 12 valves of blood for just the genetic testing off of both of us. So did get those results back and we were compatible and we were not carriers of anything. Now, neither of us, but they do um, just a regular, you know, complete blood count. Make sure you're not anemic. I had to go to do an HSG. Yeah, Corinne. Yes, yes. So just as a reminder, it's a test that is used to basically check if the fallopian tubes are open and it's done uh, with the use of a dye that is injected mm -hmm. through the cervix inside of the uterus. And the idea is that by it spilling through the tubes, if you can take a, an x-ray of the tubes and you see that the spillage is present, then you assume that the tubes are open. So most people that go through the process of uh, infertility diagnosis are very familiar with it. Absolutely. You have to, that was one of the requirements for the clinic is to have that done because they need that. Now with IVF, you don't need the tube. So if you go for this procedure and they say both tubes are blocked, don't freak out. You don't even need your tubes for IVF at all, but these are just preliminary tests that they're doing just to see the health of, of me. The rest of it was I went through a um, stress test, an echocardiogram. A stress test is where you walk on the on the treadmill and they raise it up and they make your heart beat faster to make sure that it's strong mm -hmm. enough to handle stress, basically. And they did an echocardiogram and that's a sonogram of the heart just to make sure that the structure is good and that you don't have congestive heart failure. Another test that they did, they tested me for nicotine, alcohol, and any presence of drugs. If you smoke cigarettes, mm -hmm. they will not touch you. If you have a hemoglobin mm. A1C. My hemoglobin A1C is 5.5. This is a sign of diabetes for our audience. It's looking at if you are pre-diabetic or diabetic. Right. Absolutely. It shows that it tells them if you're pre-diabetic. So 5.6 is considered pre-diabetic. If you hit 5.6, they will not touch you. And your body weight as well. Your body mass index, which is your weight versus your height, cannot be over 34. So they would require you to lose weight before they touch you as well at this clinic. Now we're talking about the clinic in Atlanta. So I cleared all of those. And then for my husband, he just had to get a semen analysis. He he, he did blood work. <laughs> you know, he just had to. <laughs> I like how you put it. But I, I wanted to ask you, Donna, how was it for you mentally as you were going through all of this process and all of this information is being thrown at you and you're having to translate that for your husband? How were the conversations at home? So I said in one of my videos, this was probably the most stressful time in our entire marriage. I think mm, for me yeah. being a nurse, I was just like, okay, fine. What you, what do you need to do? Let's get it done. I, that's probably why I'm an emergency room nurse because I want to know what the problem is. Let's fix mm -hmm. it. Problem. And I've worked mm -hmm. with Dr. Cho and she can, she can vouch for that. That's just how I am that way in every mm -hmm. aspect of life. But what I had to do was I had to step back because me, I'm just like, okay, what needs to be mm -hmm. done? Get it done. But him, his vision of having children was he was going to get married. He was going to come home one day. His wife was going to tell him, hey, listen, babe, I didn't, hey, you know, get a period this month. They was going to go get a pregnancy test. They were going to take it. He was going to be sitting there nervous. She was going to bring it to him. And boom, they, they were pregnant. And marrying me 
took mm. that away from him. It took that away from him. Mm. Now his way of having children is drastically different from what this image he's had in his mind since he was a little kid. And um, it was very emotional for him, you know, and he didn't like understand everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times he's just like, you handle that and, and I'm good, you know, type of thing. Just tell me what I need to do and, and explain it to me. And then I don't want to know too much of anything kind of thing. But it was probably the most stressful time in, in our whole marriage. That has been the the most stressful time was trying to get through the testing and the preliminaries and things of that nature. Yes. Because even after we finished all the tests and everything came back good and we sat down with the doctor and he says, okay, good. So we can go ahead and we can move forward. This is going to cost you $42,000. Oh, let's talk about that. Does insurance cover anything? Does your job cover anything? It depends. It depends. Um, with my insurance, my insurance will pay for preliminary testing and the mm. genetic testing and things of that nature. My insurance covered. They do not cover treatment. Hmm. Wow. So how did you guys, you know, when you talk about the, the amount that you guys incurred, how did you plan for that? How did that, what was the, your sort of game plan to tackle this 42000 Did they bill you all at once? Was it a payment plan? Walk us through that. Okay. So as we sat with the physician and he quoted us, $42,117.23 was one round of in vitro fertilization. That money in total had to be paid up front. Wow. And that only covers the, that does not cover any of the medications. Let's, let me clear that up. The medications on top of that amount was another $7,000. And then, uh, but that did cover the monitoring. It covered the egg retrieval without anesthesia. So the anesthesia was an additional fee as well. And I want to say that the anesthesia for the egg retrieval was another $580 on top of that. So the that was just the base price. There is so many other things that come along with it. So total for one cycle, we were looking at right at about forty-five dollars to $47,000 for one round of in vitro fertilization. So that's a lot of money. I looked at my husband and I said, <laughs> okay, <laughs> we're going to call y'all back. <laughs> we'll be back. We'll <laughs> you know, so as we were riding home, that was the first time since I met him that we rode home in complete silence. Mm -hmm. Bad as yeah. I wanted to break that silence, I know him. And I know that his mind was running at a million miles per hour. Mm. And if I interrupted that, then it would probably end more in an argument than a sincere mm -hmm. conversation. So I just let him, I just let him think. And I was just quiet and I was just praying to myself and I was well, not praying to me. I was praying to God, but I was praying internally. And I was like, Lord, now you know that I am a penny pincher and there is no way that I'm going to give these people $47,000 because just because you go through a round of in vitro fertilization, that does not mean you're going to get an embryo. Mm. 
Look, we got to talk about that. We got to talk about that. Let me tell you what happened. We pulled into the garage and I like to sit in the car sometimes when I get home for some reason. So I'm sitting in the garage and I'm, and I'm flipping through my Facebook. And have you ever seen where you go look for something on the internet and then you go on Facebook and you start seeing these ads of something that's Mm -hmm. (laughs) this is weird, but okay. (laughs) But, um, a clinic came up and I was like, well, what is this? And so I clicked on it <laughs> and I'm like, what is this? And so I'm starting to read it. And then, you know, then I type the name of the clinic in and I'm like, and then it's all these groups, like it was probably 75 groups mm-hmm. for this one particular mm. clinic. And I said, well, wait a minute, let me, let me wait mm-hmm. a minute. Let me look because for for the clinic, it was thirty nine hundred dollars for one round of in vitro fertilization. What? Wow! Yes. And I said, no, this got to be a hoax. This got to be a hoax. There's got to be something wrong with this. <laughs> and so I joined the group. And then what I did was, I, I'm an assessor, probably because I'm a nurse. I got to assess the situation. I just got in the group and listened to people talk. Watch what they posted. Watch the pictures that they posted. Watch the. So I said, "Well, geez, let me let me call." And so I called and I, you know, told them everything that was going on. They said, "Okay, we'll just do a phone consult." He does not even charge for it. We paid a thousand dollars for the consult here in in our city. And he called, and I'm telling you, he was a fireball of just positive energy. And he was more of like a friend. And he was like, okay, what you got going on? Okay, what is going on? This is what we're going to do. We're going to do this. We're going to do this, 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 this. And it's $3,900. And you don't have to pay the $3,900 up front. You pay $500. It is $200 a month. Your first payment is not due until 30 days after we transfer the embryo. I said, well, wait a minute. And, and I had to ask him, I said, why, why is it that you are doing this? Because I am totally confused on number one, mm. you're only charging $3,900 for one round of in vitro fertilization. And it includes everything that comes with it, except for the extras that you can add on. And you're not even saying, give me the $3,900. You're saying it's $500 and I'm going to put you on the payment plan and you'll already be pregnant by the time you make your first payment. So Donna, when you went to, so you, you flew to New York, did you have your treatment in New York mm-hmm. and then fly back right away to Atlanta or where were you doing the treatments? Walk us a little bit about the treatment itself. What were you doing? No, actually what you do is after the phone consult, he uploads um, all of the medications that he wants you to take and when he wants you to take them to your portal. On your first day of your cycle, you call the clinic and say, hey, listen, this is day one. They have a clinic here in the Atlanta area and they send you, oh, to, the clinic. Uh-huh. They send you to the clinic there on day three. And then they do it mm-hmm. now to see how many immature eggs you have there and see what your lining looks like and things of that nature. And then you start your medication. So then they tell you you're going to take, well, I took 150 mLs of Polystem and 150 mLs of Minipure. Are those injections or, or pills? No, no pills. Who, who was doing that? Was that your husband or you who injected you? <laughs> <laughs> he does not like any and he was like, oh, I feel hot. Like I'm going to pass out. Oh my God. 
You're like, I'm the one getting the injection. Why are you <laughs> passing out? I was like, no, don't pass out. So he did not do any of the injections. But what I did want to do was make sure that I include my 14-year-old in this mm. journey. So a lot of times my 14-year-old would give me the, the shots. So then you get you do the injections and you're doing them every single day. When I went for my egg retrieve, I went for my... So let me go back. I did two rounds. I did what's called the stacking method. The stacking method is that you do egg retrievals back to back to try to get as many embryos that you as you can um, so that you don't have to keep doing it. Because I didn't want to be 45 trying to go through this process again because he wants another baby, you know. But I did not want to have 40 embryos. Mm-hmm. And I and I could mm-hmm. not because one mm-hmm. of the preliminary tests that they did was an AMH. The AMH it tells you how many egg reserves you have. You know, the female is born with all the eggs that she's going to have in her life. And that decreases as you get older. And so now you got to think now at this age, I'm 37, getting ready to turn 38. And my AMH was 0.04. So I, so even with the first clinic, they really didn't want to want me to do it because they said it's, it's, it's pointless. You need to use donor eggs. Yes. At that point, that's really what they say. Mm-hmm. They wanted me to do donor eggs, but I didn't want to do donor eggs. I wanted my own kid. So I didn't want to mm-hmm. do donor eggs. So that was another reason why I was looking for another clinic. And that's what we did. And so I flew to New York. I stayed at this um, hotel. I went there on a Thursday. My egg retrieval was that Friday morning. So they sent the bus. The bus picked me up, took me to there. Um, they put you to sleep. So they put me to sleep and they took the eggs out. Now, now the day before they said I had 12 follicles and then you want to look at the size. So you don't want a 10 or 15 or 16. We want you in the 20s. So like 22, 24, 26, 28. So I, out of the 12, all 12 of them were greater than 24 mms uh, uh, millimeters um, in size. So to mm-hmm. me, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to have... 12 embryos mm. but that's not the case so how, much- mm-hmm. so how much how many did you end up getting mm-hmm. so once i woke up out of the 12 i only had five much five eggs and i stemmed the whole 14 days so all five of them were mature and um they were able to ixie all five of them so I that they, that's fantastic. So all five of them were mature, huh? And how many embryos did you end up getting out of it? So with that, this is with the first round. I got all five of them made it to, to day five. So that's another thing. You can stop at day three or day five, but we went all the way to day five because we did what's called PGS testing, and PGS testing tells you all the genetics about your embryos before you even put them in the sex of them, Mm -hmm. um, if if they have any chromosomal defects, if if they have anything, this test will tell you. But they have to be able to make it to day five. Day six, they called and they said all five of them made it to day six and they had biopsied them and sent them off to the genetic center to get genetically tested. And then they froze them. So as all of this is going on, how are you handling it emotionally? What's going on through your mind? And how, what are you experiencing as a woman? I am feeling inferior. I'm feeling that why do I have to go through all of this to have a kid? And you know what? It's so easy for me to forgive other people. It's very hard for me to forgive me. 
and I felt like I made a decision that I shouldn't have made. And now it's costing all this emotion because when you get on the fertility medications, the injections, your emotions are all over the place. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, just be having a normal conversation and just burst out crying. Yeah, it's a tough, it can, it can be tough. It can be tough to have all of those hormones in you. And, and were you aware of those changes as you were going mm-hmm. through it? Were you able to, did you have a, did you find that in your husband, you were able to find a support system you needed? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that I knew it off grip because I could, I could tell the emotion and I think that I realized it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm an ER nurse and I had a young lady come in who was uh, pregnant and her words were she's going to avoid it. She don't want it. And I'm thinking I had to walk out the room because I still have to be professional and I still have to respect the culture and the decisions that my patients are making, no matter what I'm going through. Very emotional. And that was like, gosh, I would have probably at least eight. Mm -hmm. It seemed like when I went through the in vitro Mm -hmm. process, it was more than was not or maybe I just yeah. paid attention to it more so I leaned on my husband for everything I leaned on him so much for support and just to tell he's so amazing he's really good with just being like it's okay Donna it's okay mm-hmm. it's okay if you cry you cry, but then I want you to wipe your face and we got to get our game face on you still got to keep moving and and let's talk about how you're feeling because I could tell that something is wrong so let's just talk about it so Donna, I have a question. I my one of the questions that is sort of, you know, stuck in my ears, what was the perception of your friends and your family? You know, we know as a community that, you know, when it comes to infertility, we just it's, it's it's a taboo topic. We don't talk about this. So when you were telling your family or friends that this is something you're going through, what was the feedback you were getting? I only told people who were extremely close to me because I was Pentecostal. Really mm. And um, per our religion, so I'm I'm apostolic now, but um, my family do not believe in IVF at all. Mm. And even now, my daughter is treated differently. Wow, She's treated differently. So they don't believe it. So I did not disclose. Uh, I have a whole YouTube wow. channel where I um, go through every emotion and medication and everything that I never told anyone. I just wanted to document it for myself. I never told any of mm-hmm. my friends and family um, that I had a YouTube channel. Wow. And that is very, very unfortunate, though. And I think that's one of the reasons why we find that these conversations that we're having today are very important. Because in our community, we find a lot of women are suffering Mm -hmm. in silence when they go through infertility. And that, that that doesn't sound or feel right. There's a lot, a lot that you share with us that uh, many people that have not gone through it will not necessarily know. And thank you for being so transparent with us. I wonder what would you tell, and you know, before we wrap, wrap this up, I just, what would you tell our audience? As you know, we, this, this podcast is really geared for, for all women, but in particular, we want to encourage our women of color um, who may not have the, the, the information that is out there about certain topics. And so with infertility, what would you tell a sister out there or a woman who is going through infertility? What advice would you give them um, about IVF or anything actually? 
I would first tell them that it's okay. It's okay. Mm-hmm. It's all right. And there are options that you have that you can be a mom. You can. Mm-hmm. I, you have to stay positive. What you think in your mind will manifest. So if you're, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get pregnant. I'm not going to get pregnant. Oh, this is so neck. Oh, if you keep having those thoughts, then that's exactly what's going to happen. What you speak out your mouth is what's in your heart. And what's in your heart is what's going to manifest. So you have to, if you can't control anything else through this process, you can control what you think and you have to control your thoughts. You have to control them and you just think positive and whatever you want, that's what you think about. That's what you manifest. That's what you bring forth. And it's not easy. Your emotions, it's an emotional roller coaster. But I'm telling you, there was nothing more satisfying than looking over at my husband the first time he held his daughter and he had tears pouring. All worth it. It was all worth it. I'm telling you, it was, it was all worth it. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing this beautiful story with us and being so honest and transparent. And I hope that through it all, you continue to encourage women who may be undergoing the same struggle and they don't know who to talk to. So thank you so much for being um, here with us today. And Donna, just one more time, can you please let us know where people can you know, watch your story or contact you? Absolutely. I am on Instagram and my Instagram name is D-D-A-S-H-1-T and that's D D like Donna, D like Donna, A like Apple, S like Sam, H like house, the number T like Tom, no T like Tom, the number one. Um, And then um, my YouTube channel is Transparent Life of D-D and that's D-E-E-D-E and that's the easiest way to get in contact with me is probably on YouTube versus Instagram. I'm on there a lot more than I am on IG. And you guys can always you guys can always email us on heydocletschat at gmail.com. Please send your questions. We know you have tons um, or just your feedback. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. My name is Dr. Pindila Erika Choa. And I'm Dr. Karino Shtani. And this is Hey Doc, Let's Chat. Hey Doc, Let's Chat.